And so again, it's so great to have all of you here this morning. If you missed kind of the quick announcements I did at the beginning of the service, uh, if you use the church app to stay up to date with all the events that are going on at, at our church, it looks like there's nothing happening here. Facebook made a change to their, their back-end stuff, and the company that makes our app hasn't caught up to the change yet, so these two things aren't compatible, so it looks like nothing's going on here at our church. That's not true. There's tons going on, so make sure you get the weekly email that goes out every Friday to see the events or go directly to our Facebook page to check that out. If you do not get the Friday email, there's a connection card in the chair in front of you. Just clearly put your name, your email address, and tick off if you'd like to get that. We want to make sure everybody knows what's going on. There's too many things to announce on Sunday, so uh, uh, don't believe the app. There's a lot going on around here, so I encourage you to get the information through that email. Um, we uh, started a series last week called How to Neighbor. And kind of the whole idea behind this series is looking at the Bible together as a church family and see how the church is called to be good neighbors in the culture, in the world that we live in today. The culture that we live in is rapidly changing. The issues that families are dealing with today, the issues that government is dealing with, that nonprofits are dealing with, that healthcare is dealing with, the problems in our world today, we couldn't even have imagined them 10 years ago, 15 years ago, oh, 50 years ago. I was recently talking with a bunch of church leaders on the church's response to this culture around us, and I'm still quite amazed the way so many churches do ministry like it's 1952. And if we are still trying to reach our community like it's 1952, they will not feel the love of God. Because their world is radically different than 1952. So the word of God never changes. But how we live out the word of God by the power of the spirit of God must change. If we want to be obedient to the teachings of Jesus. So this whole series that we're doing for for four weeks hinges on the text that we read in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, kind of this religious expert, this expert in the law, stood up and goes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we see through so many different parts of the Bible, when these religious experts were coming to Jesus, they weren't coming to Jesus because they truly wanted to know what Jesus thought. They were coming to Jesus because they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could hold against him. They hated him. They despised what he was doing. He was breaking down their religious traditions, the traditions of the elders. And was actually pointing people to the heart of what God wants from his people. But people like what they like. They get used to their religion. They get used to their traditions. So this expert in the law is not trying to learn and grow. He's trying to trap Jesus. And I always love it when people try to trap Jesus. Jesus just throws it back at them and he says, well, what's written in the law? Basically saying, you're the expert. You tell me. What does it say? How do you read it? So this expert in the law answered, he said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your strength and with all of your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus replied, you've answered correctly. If you do this, you will live. And I love verse 29 here in Luke chapter 10. I love whenever the Bible says, but. He heard the word of God. He heard what Jesus had to say. Jesus said, you're correct. But this man wanted to justify himself. He wanted not what Jesus had to offer. He didn't want to be obedient to Jesus. He's trying to justify his own religiosity. He's trying to justify his own tradition, his own way of doing church. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? You see, because the Jewish people were having this big tension. It's easy to love people who are like you. It's easy as a Jewish person to love another Jewish person. But what do I do about these people? What do I do about those people? The ones who are very different from us, from different cultures, different races, different economic classes. What about different sexual preferences, different ways of living life? We don't like people that are different back then. But if we're not careful, we could still be like that today. And we can sit there very easily trying to justify ourselves, saying, well, God, who's my neighbor? I want to love the upper middle class person with no problems in their marriage, and their kids are perfect. Those people are easy to love. When those families show up into our life group and their lives are perfectly clean and aligned with no problems, welcome into our church family. We love you. They're so easy to love those who are perfect. But as we're going to see in today's text is nobody is perfect. Everybody's broken. And we all bring stuff to the table and we need to learn to love our neighbor. And this week, so what we're doing is we're continuing this topic and I want to talk about um, Jesus' heart for the poor. I want to talk about Jesus' heart for the poor and how the call of the church is not simply to meet the needs of the poor, but actually the call of the church, as we see throughout the Word of God, is to empower the poor. How can we be good neighbors? How can we truly love our neighbors by empowering the poor? You see, poverty is a big topic right now. There's a lot going on in the world today. We are seeing levels of extreme poverty all over the place. We're seeing corruption in governments all over the world where we think we're dealing with this poverty issue and the money and the resources aren't getting to the people who actually need it. And it just seems like this problem is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's getting so big, it becomes incredibly overwhelming. We don't even know how to address it in the most simple of ways anymore. We see poverty at the, on the world scale. We see poverty even right here in our own city. We have communities that are literally right next door to us, and we can't even see them because we, we just don't notice. We're so focused on our world and what we have to get done. I remember years ago when I was still living in Montreal, and they had this sack. Uh, they would do Christmas baskets every year. And we put together 350 Christmas baskets to bring to families that were struggling to, to kind of to even put on a Christmas dinner, to buy presents for their kids. And I have to you know, just share my complete and total ignorance. I thought we were going to be going downtown into the urban core. 
We didn't even have to drive to drop these baskets off. They were literally across the street from the building I worshipped in, and I had no clue they were there. The poor are all around us. In fact, there's so many people, even in our own church family, who from time to time are deeply struggling with financial problems. So poverty is all over the place. So we have to look at what the Bible has to say about it. And I know it's a tough topic, so in order to try to lighten the mood a little bit, I, I want you to realize, too, how, how we all personally view poverty. Most human beings will view poverty through our own circumstances. <laughs> because we're kind of, as a, as a culture and as, a, you know, as fallen people... <laughs> As people created in the image and likeness of God, and that image has been broken because of sin, we're kind of a little self-absorbed. So when we think of poverty, we think of poverty in our own circumstances. So I thought just for fun, I just wanted to see what people were dealing with, kind of on social media. I love what people post on social media. It's, it's awesome. It's, actually, it's crazy what some people post. But um, I just randomly went on Twitter and just wanted to see how people on Twitter are struggling with financial needs. So here's a couple of um, things I found on Twitter. So here's someone, I don't know these people, and they're not in our church family, so I apologize for picking on them, but this was funny. So here we had uh, Liv who said, you know, I, I need my eyelashes, my nails, my tan, and my hair, etc. done. I'm so poor. And this poor lady couldn't get her eyelashes done this week hand done and her hair done because she's so poor. This one here, so here you got this guy, you know, named York, you're my hope, because I want to go to a BTS concert so bad. I don't know who BTS is. Hopefully it's not inappropriate. I didn't Google it. This guy can't go to the concert because he's so poor. Should I just use my school funds? <laughs> ah, I don't have to buy my books. I don't have to, you know, pay for my tuition. I'm going to go to this concert instead. And this is finally, this is my, the next one, this one's my favorite. Poor Jonah. I really feel bad for Jonah here. Uh, my dad just called me, and he's putting more money into my account because I'm so poor. Thank be to God for fathers who love their daughters who are away at school so much and send them money. Good job, Dad. That's awesome. But, you know, Dad's got some conditions on this because Dad thinks it's really sad and asked her to stop spending money on Starbucks. <laughs> and she tells her father who put money into her bank account, Father, I will never give it up. <laughs> Because she's so poor. I've got to bail out her Starbucks addiction. Okay, again, this is, it's so easy to chuckle about these things because, again, poverty is relative. Poverty is relative. And we look at our own lives, we look at our own situations, and it's so easy for us to be blinded by the poverty of others because we view poverty kind of relatively. And so it's difficult to see those who are in our own community who are struggling. I don't know how many of you have ever gone um, to like uh, an impoverished country. I remember years ago, I was a new Christian, and I went to Jamaica for the first time. And we were going to Jamaica for a wedding. And you see the pictures online of where you're going to be going. And you see this five-star re uh, resort you know, with the pools and the waterfalls and the drinks and all of these incredible things. And you slap down all of this money to go to this incredible resort. But in order to get to the resort, we had to spend three hours driving through some of the poorest 
neighborhoods I have ever seen in my entire life. And I've been a Christian for about a year. And that was probably the most miserable eight days of my life. How can I sit in this resort having people waiting on me hand and foot or literally outside of the gates are some of the poorest things, the poorest situations I have personally ever seen. And I know a number of you, you've been on missions trips and you've gone to these places and you've seen people who are living literally in a shack that is smaller than our stage here. Families of like 15 people living in something that we would consider to be a closet. People who have to use a bucket in the corner to relieve themselves. Where they don't know where they're going to, they don't bathe, they don't know where they're going to get clean water from. The only source of clean water is miles away. There's no food in the fridge. They don't even know how they're going to feed their family tomorrow. Right? So this poverty is incredibly real. And the reason I believe it's so important for us as a church to talk about the reality of poverty is because I believe to the core of my being. I don't know if I'm just getting cranky in my old age, but government will never solve this problem. They can't. Because they're trying to appease everybody, and there's, there's not enough money in the government for them to handle this problem. And I don't believe it's their mandate, personally. I believe it's the church's mandate as given to the church by the word of God and by the words of Jesus himself. It's our job. We need to step up and stop handing it off to other people to do it for us. It's not their call. It's our call. Because when we look at the heart of Jesus when it comes to the poor, I want you to open your Bibles. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, we see Jesus takes poverty incredibly seriously. Jesus doesn't hand poverty over to the king of Israel. He hands it over to the church. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 25 about his return, about his second coming. When Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, Jesus is going to separate every human being in the world into two groups. Those who don't know Jesus and those who do know Jesus. And then he's going to look at the people who know Jesus, who have put their faith in Jesus, and Jesus is going to say these words to them. We see this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Jesus said, Then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, not their right, the people who know him, says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the people on the right side of Jesus, those who know Jesus, those who have been saved from their sins, not by their own works, but by the works of Jesus on the cross, they're going to turn to Jesus and go, wait a minute, when did we do that? I, I, we, I, I didn't do that. I didn't do any of the stuff that you just named. You know, it's almost, I can kind of actually picture myself in that group of people saying, every time that you went to visit people, you know, you did this, I, I, I didn't do that. I didn't, you know, 
I didn't do this to you, Jesus. I, I, didn't, I didn't take care of these people that way. It almost feels like, oh my goodness, maybe I should have been over in this pile. <laughs> maybe I should have been over here. But Jesus is reminding them, and he's going, he's going, look at all these things that the church did. Look at all the things that the church did. Look at all the things that the church did. He goes, I needed these things. And you did them. And our response is, wait a minute, when did we do this for you, Jesus? And Jesus replies, whenever you did this for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did this for me. This is how seriously Jesus views poverty and the church's response to poverty is when we serve people in need, we are doing it directly to Jesus. You did it for me. Right? When we use something that God has blessed us with to empower and bless other people, we are blessing Jesus. Right? This is how Jesus views poverty. This is how the Bible, from beginning to end, views poverty. Right? In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, we see the same idea play out in the Old Testament. Where Proverbs says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. You're literally lending and serving God by how you treat and care for the poor. Jesus takes this incredibly seriously. We see in 1 John chapter 3, John is one of Jesus' followers. He's the apostle who Jesus loved. He's in kind of the inner three of the ministry of Jesus. And this is what it says John tells the church. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions or in truth. It's not enough to just talk about poverty. It's not enough to just learn what the Bible says about poverty. It's on the church to do something about it. I was in a men's Bible study years ago, and one of the guys said, well, I got this request from this single mom in our church. She's really struggling financially. She has to move out of the house that she's living in, and she's got to move into an apartment. And everyone said, okay, that's awesome. Let's pray for her. And I was leading that Bible study, and I stood up and said, guys, she doesn't need prayer. She needs a truck. And she needs 12 guys to help move the furniture. We can pray, we can study, but God wants us as the church to be the hands and feet to people who are in need. We can't just talk about it, we have to do something about it. And we show our love to God when we show our love for those who are poor. I have recently read a book, and so the rest of my message is going to be based on what I learned in this book. And if this is a topic that God speaks to your heart on, I would encourage you to get a copy of it. It's a book called When Helping Hurts. When Helping Hurts by Steve Corbett and Brian, Brian Fickert, F-I-K-K-E-R-T. And this was one of the most mind-opening books I have ever read on the topic of poverty and the church's response to it when helping hurts, because sometimes, again, if we are doing things the way we've always done it, 
and not realizing the shifts that have gone on in culture. Sometimes we as a church, we think we're helping, but we are actually hurting the poor in the way that we help. So I want to kind of build this foundation on getting our minds around poverty and what Jesus' words are telling us and how we can be good neighbors in empowering the poor. Right? See, because most people would define poverty as a lack of something material. Right? When you think of something, of someone, a family, a country that's poor, you would think they're poor because of a lack of material possession, a lack of water, a lack of food, a lack of money, a lack of the newest iPhone, a lack of getting your hair done, whatever that is, whatever that lack of material possession is, that is how you would define we typically as North Americans would define poverty. But the World Bank actually surveyed over 600,000 people who live in impoverished nations. And when they did this study, poor people don't actually see themselves as people without um, lacking something materially. What they see is that poverty has become a mindset. That, that, that the extreme poverty, or even kind of the North American levels of poverty that we see, it becomes a mindset. It's not about their lack of material possessions, but it becomes a mindset that begins to set into how they live their lives, how they view themselves. They see that people who are struggling have a deep sense of shame. They struggle with ongoing feelings of worthlessness. Deep Feelings of fear, humiliation, hopelessness, a sense of being trapped that will never be able to get out of this situation. There's a mindset, a deep mindset that plays out in so many people who are struggling in the issue of poverty. Right? And so we have to understand, this is what this book kind of unpacked and looking at the Word of God and how it unpacked it, is that the call of the church is not simply to provide for their need, even though we do that. The call of the church, as the children of God, is to help them break free of their brokenness. <laughs> to help them break free of the mindset that has gripped them. Right? So many of us in North America... We assume we know how to fix problems. We know how to meet people's needs. I heard the story of a, of a church that went on a missions trip to one of these impoverished countries. And when they went on the missions trip, someone came up with the idea, well, what we're going to do is we're going to get about 10 suitcases, and we're going to buy all of these T-shirts. And we're going to bring about 500 T-shirts to this village, and we're going to bless all the kids with these T-shirts. You know, and they put the pictures online of like all these kids lining up and them handing out 500 t-shirts and it looked so beautiful and it made this beautiful little picture on Instagram. But what they learned after the fact when they got back home is by giving out 500 t-shirts to the, to the kids in the village, there were actually three single moms who had a business of making and selling clothing to the children and that church just put these women out of business. Now they can't feed their families anymore. Because we brought in the t-shirts when helping hurts. And so we as the, ch as the church, we can't just assume we know how to help. We need to learn to not simply 
help people, but we have to learn, or sorry, not just to meet their needs, but we have to help people get out of their mindset, the deep sense of shame, the ongoing feelings of worthlessness, their fear, their humiliation, their sense of being trapped. So I believe the first starting point for all of us is understanding that the root of all poverty is brokenness. (laughs) The root of of all poverty is brokenness. And here's the beauty of this. When we can get our minds around the fact that poverty starts with brokenness, we can actually put ourselves on the same level as them. You know why? Because we're broken too. (laughs) We have sin in our lives. We have issues that are going on in our lives. When we realize poverty is just another form of brokenness, we're equal. (laughs) We're on the same level. We need God to show up in the same way. We might not be financially poor, but some of us might be relationally poor. We talked about that last week. There's other issues we're going to talk about in the rest of this series. So we might not be dealing with financial poverty, but we have other parts in our lives where we're broken. The way to God the Father is by accepting what God the Son has done for you. That you're not good enough, you're not religious enough to kind of pay for your own sin. Jesus paid that price before God. We're broken in our own selves. How many of you kind of talk bad about yourself in your own mind? Just me. The thoughts, I'm not good. I can't believe I screwed that up again. Oh, I'm such a loser. You're a saint. God sees you as perfect and holy and as just and his creation. He sees you as good as his child adopted into his family. We have a bad self-image. We have broken images of ourselves. We have brokenness in our, in our own self. We have brokenness in our relationships. Right? We don't share our needs when we're struggling. Our pride kicks in. We, uh, someone knew what I was really dealing with. They wouldn't like me anymore. Someone knew what I was really dealing with. I couldn't be a leader anymore. Whatever it is, we hide from each other. Right? That's why one of our core values is, as a church is that we'll be a church that's real. Real before God, real before one another. Get over this brokenness in our relationships. Right? And this is the message of Jesus. To deal with the brokenness of humanity. We understand we're all broken. We are all in need of a Savior. Our response to those who are financially poor, dealing with poverty, changes. Right? I love the words of Jesus. Jesus showed this, how he came to set the broken free. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue one Sunday, and he pulled out a scroll from the book of Isaiah, and he read this. He said, the spirit, on, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Recovery of sight to the blind. See, it's Christ who saves. It's Christ who heals. It's Christ who sets us free. Regardless of what brokenness we're dealing with. So we have to start there. Understanding we're all broken We all need Jesus to deal with our brokenness. Once we get that, then we can deal with the topic of poverty and how we care for people. 
then we can start to see what is the church's role in helping to deal with poverty because we're all called to this. We saw already what Jesus had to say about it. This isn't the call of government. This isn't the call of just the pastor. This is the call of everybody on the right hand of Jesus. You will stand before Jesus' judgment one day. And he's not going to judge you on what saved you. He's going to judge you on how you lived out your salvation. And I want every single person who attends Greenbelt to hear, good job, faithful servant. It's my job to ensure that you do your job. It's not my job to do your job. It's my job to equip you for your job. And I want all of you to hear, good job, faithful servant, on that day of judgment. And we know that that's going to come. So how do then we do this? How does the church live out our role? The first is this. I got three points. I have no clue what time I started at, so we'll keep going. Okay, normally there's a clock that keeps me accountable, and it's off. Awesome. Great. We're good. What is the role of the church? When you start falling asleep, I'll stop talking. What is the role of the church? The first is this, is that the role of the church is to serve others, not save others. The role of the church is to serve others, not to save others. It is insulting and dangerous to believe I am the answer to someone's problems. It is insulting to the Lord who died for our sins to believe for a moment that I am the solution to that person's problems. Because I'm not the answer. You are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. You're just the servant. I'm just the servant. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who sets free. The call of the church is to serve others, not to save others. There were two really amazing thoughts in in that book on when healing hurts that the authors talked about. And they talk about how Most churches are really good at one of these things and not very good at the other. And he talks about the call of the church when we're serving others and not trying to save them is that we need to bring relief and we need to bring restoration. We need to bring relief and we need to bring restoration. The church generally is really good at bringing relief. You hear of a need you provide some money, you hear of need, you provide some groceries, you hear of a need, you pay a bill, you hear a need, you help out. We're really good at relief. Where the church, and I believe our church, needs to improve and grow is not just thinking how we provide relief, but how do we truly uh, provide restoration? How do we stop just kind of helping deal with relief, but how do we help bring restoration to people? And you can see that directly play out in the story of the Good Samaritan. If you're not familiar with the story, this is a story where there's this guy who was beaten by thieves on the road, and all these religious people just walked walked by. But a Samaritan, who is someone who generally, the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans, Samaritan walks by, sees this Jewish guy who was beaten on the road, he takes him, Provides relief, brings them to a hotel, pays for it, but ensures there's restoration. I'm going to come back. 
I'm going to keep paying their bill. I'm going to follow up to make sure they're okay. We struggle, I think, as North Americans with restoration because we like the quick fix. Like someone who's in a long-term problem, they're exhausting. It's like, come on, I already solved this. I already like paid this. I already gave you money. I already paid for your Starbucks. I already covered your haircut. I already got you the new iPhone. Like why, you know, like why are you coming back? We get tired. Like, I mean, I love all the self-help books that come out, you know, like How to Have a New Teenager by Friday. <laughs> buy the book Thursday. See how the book works out for you. You know, like, okay, awesome. I'll buy it on Thursday, and by tomorrow I'm going to have a brand new teenager in my house. We want it fast, fast, fast. So we're good at relief. We're good at relief. We need to get better at restoration. How do we come alongside people? How do we help them get freedom from their mindset, freedom from the brokenness that's going on in their lives? Right? Just, this is just a little bit of my heart. This is just my opinion. I've not shared this with anybody yet. This is just my opinion. But when we as a church con- collect our benevolent offering. I think we have to stop calling it benevolence. Because we use it for relief. And relief is a great thing, and it's been amazing to see how our church has come alongside people to provide relief. But we also have to see that money of how we provide restoration to people. How we provide relief and restoration. How do we help someone who's struggling financially? How can we come alongside them to teach them how to manage money? How do we help people live on a budget? How do we come alongside and kind of encourage people? It's like, well, maybe it's time to move. Maybe, like, and, and not just to be aiming for that, but that first 10% we give to God and the works of God, and then we connect, collect that relief and restoration offering, that benevolent offering, that's above and beyond that 10%, so that we can see the works of God, not just to provide relief, but we want to provide relief, but also to see people deal with their brokenness. <laughs> help them truly know Jesus better, to watch the, the power of Jesus work in their lives, to not just be so quick to assume we helped, we've saved. Because we're not called to save, we're called to serve. We're called to serve. So that's the first role, the, ch- the church's role. We serve others, we don't save others. The second is we are called as the church to relate with people, not rescue people. Loving your neighbor isn't about rescuing, it's about relating. Right? We get to know people. We come alongside them as we care for them. Right? The, the people who are struggling, whether it's through finances or any other area of their brokenness that they're struggling, um, they are not projects for us. Right? They're not projects for us, they're people who need to be cared for. And God calls each and every one of us to care for these people. And here's the reality. This is why it's so important to understand that we're all broken. One day, and and Jesus promises us, Jesus promises, in this world you will have many troubles. One day, my brokenness that I deal with is going to need you to care for me as a person. Not as the pastor, but just as another guy going through life, we're all broken. We all have issues. And so we need to not just um, rescue people. We need to relate to people. 
in a meaningful way. That's the call of the church. That's why we want every adult and every teenager and every kid to be in a relationship with a few other people so that we're praying together, so we know what's going on in our lives, so we can pick each other up. Sunday morning is too big to do that now. With all the people who come in and out of the ministry through the different services that we do, the different people who watch online, we need everybody in a meaningful relationship with a few other people to relate to them, not to rescue them and see them as a project. I remember, again, the... The summer before I moved here in Ottawa, I was serving in a church in Waterloo, and there was this huge initiative that went on about loving our neighbor. And it was a great project, and I was so excited to be about it, and they were doing all these cleanup projects across the city. And it was great, and we talked to politicians, and the politicians got us all t-shirts sponsored by the local coffee shop, and so we're all wearing our t-shirts, and it was a beautiful day, and it was so nice, and, and we collected about, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of bags of garbage. And then we went around, they had kind of this worship night afterwards, and they wanted to hear stories about, you know, the, connection, the, the connections that the church made with the neighborhood. You know how many testimonies we got that worship date? None. Because not a single person spoke to one of the people in the neighborhood. They thought their job was to clean up. And they did. They did a great job. They cleaned up. But I was like, oh my goodness, we messed that one up. Because <laughs> the whole point was to get to know our neighbors. Not to see them as projects, but to see them as people who are broken who need to know the love of God and need to know that the church loves them. So when we, I heard when they did it again, they restructured it, you know, so that only half the people were cleaning and half the people were talking to people. At least they learned. <laughs> you know, because it was about not seeing people as a project, but seeing people as people who need to be cared for, to relate with them. Right? When you help, when you give, we give out of a heart to see people come into a meaningful relationship with God and with others in the church. So what is the church's role? We are to serve others, not save others. It's to relate with people, not rescue people. And finally, is we are called to reach out. We couldn't save ourselves, and God reached out to us. And because God is a God who reaches out, we need to be people who reach out. We don't reach down that I've got it all together, that we as the church are perfect, and we're going to reach out to these poor people. That we reach out as those who are all broken as well. It's knowing and realizing we're not the hero of the story. <laughs> we're not the hero in the work that God is doing in the world. <clears throat> Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who sets free. So we are called to reach out and not simply just be reaching down. Right? But how do we do this? What's kind of some of the application in this? Because if we're all dealing with our own personal brokenness, how can we even see the brokenness of other people? I think the first way that you and I need to do this is like we worshipped earlier and like we prayed earlier. Are we even asking God to open our eyes to the hurts around us? Are we asking God to soften our hearts? 
to those who are struggling around us so that we can serve them, so that we can relate to them, so that we can reach out to them. We need to be able first to see them and let the Spirit of God work in our hearts to soften our hearts. The other thing that you and I need to do, and I include me in this list, is we, if we truly want to be good neighbors as the church, we need to create margin in our lives. Time and money. So many of us are living lives where we actually spend more than we earn, and there's no margin in our finances. We couldn't help someone if we wanted to. Because there's no margin financially. My wife and I, years ago, we did the most crazy thing I've ever done in my life as a guy who, and I've shared this before, who has struggled with buying. Right? Buy something when you have a good day to reward yourself. Buy yourself something when you had a bad day to make yourself feel good. It's a great way to live. <laughs> I said you didn't have bills <laughs> to pay. But my wife and I, we implemented this crazy thing called work my way up in the next 10 years to 25%. So I can be even more generous to the world that's broken around me. The first one is, do I have a, eyes to see and a heart that's receptive to the poverty around me? Do I have margin in my life? And the final thing is, am I going to allow myself to live purposefully? Am I going to live on purpose? So many things that we do in church life, we kind of do it reaction, like as a reaction to a situation. We actually want to work as a church to be much more purposeful in the world around us. With strategic partnerships, we don't want to invent ministry that's already existing. We want to work with the experts who are already out there. Why should we waste time and resources creating what's already there? We want to be much more purposeful in how we partner with the city, how we partner with different parachurch ministries, how we work together as the body of Christ. So my call to all of you this morning is, are you willing to fulfill the church's role? Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to relate are you willing to reach out? If you just want to wait for someone else to do it, it's not going to get done. It's our call. It's our mandate. It's such a time as this when the church rises up to meet the needs of people. That's when you see the church explode. When you see people come to know Christ. When you see people dealing with sin in their lives seeing healing, physical, spiritual, emotional healing, when you see Christ truly setting the captive free, it's when the church does what the church was created to do. That keeps me up at night so excited because it's God's call for each and every one of us to empower the poor and see God work in mighty ways.